Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, the digital revolutions in full swing. We're taking a look at it from a lot of different dimensions. And here as the year, crazy year, 2020 winds down, we are all, I think, very excited to get on into 2021. And one of our wonderful monthly guests, one of our digital all-stars, Wayne Saden, is going to offer some advice to business leaders, whether you're tech executives or otherwise, for some of the things to start thinking about in the strategic sense for the coming year. Wayne, welcome back. It is a great pleasure as always to have you. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here as always. We talk about such interesting things. Yeah, Wayne, so uh, I, I saw that number one on the list of things you wanted to chat about was strategic planning. And it seems like in these, uh, these sort of frantic times, uh, things moving so quickly in so many different dimensions, unprecedented changes in the world over the last nine months. It'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on strategic planning as people move into a new year, not just trying to do everything a little bit better, a little bit differently, but doing a lot of things dramatically differently. So Wayne, what do you think, uh, what should be top of mind for everybody? Well, let me start by saying that from my perspective, the number of requests I'm getting from prospects, from clients to take on more work, to look at more projects, and to look at more strategic initiatives has skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. My take is everybody said there's a vaccine on the horizon. We're starting to get it. The world may be opening back up again. And those that are maybe a little late to the game and weren't doing this six, eight, nine months ago are now saying we've got to get into this game. So I take that as a personal sign here in Texas, where I live, as a sign the world may be coming back to the new normal. And the new normal may look like up here, where the old normal was maybe here. And lately, we've been off the screen low. So for me, that's, that's a good sign. And, and as people talk to me, the question a lot often comes up, rather, of what are we going to do with our strategy? How can you, as the IT person, the digital transformation person, influence and help us with our strategic discussion. And what happens there is the message I want to give is technology can shape your strategic plan to some extent. So what is a strategy? A strategy is a measure of what I want to do. It's also a measure of what I can do. It's great to have a strategy that says we're going to fly to Mars tomorrow, but we can't. So what's the point of a strategy like that? Uh, what I see in a lot of my clients, though, is the strategy is expressed as we want to raise our EBITDA by X million dollars, or they talk in terms of RayRock. Now, I was sitting at a client's meeting one day talking to their rank and file employees, and they stood up and talked about EBITDA increase and RayRock, and the entire room sat like this because nobody knew what they were talking about. And so I would urge executives communicating your strategic plan, expressing your strategic plan, do it in an actionable way. It's about what do I want to accomplish? Do I want to have geographic expansion? Do I want to have line extension? Do I want to sell more to my existing customers? So talk about things in terms that people can accept. And also recognize that what you can do today depends a lot on your technology. So if your strategy is to do a lot of acquisitions and your ERP system is falling apart, that's going to be a difficult strategy. If your strategy is to sell in e-commerce, I had a client once where they wanted to put in this fancy e-commerce front end, and it was a terrific idea. 
except their back-end warehouse inventory and fulfillment stuff was about 30 years out of date. So we could build the storefront and all the cool stuff, but we had no idea what was in the warehouse. And we had no idea how to pick it and get it delivered. So it was a terrific idea from that group, unsupportable by that other group without massive investment. And so when you do your strategic planning as a CEO, as a board member, as a head of strat planning, get your head of IT into the room and say, what can we do today? What can't we do today? What cool stuff might you wanna do that you just can't? And then where are we going tomorrow? If you're implementing a new network, if you're implementing AI, if you're implementing internet of things, if you're implementing a new ERP system, you are creating capability. And some of the capability is technology, of course, but more of it should be what you're doing to your people. How are you enabling? How are you empowering? How are you teaching them to think differently? And so if you can create an empowered workforce along with better technology, all of a sudden your strategic capabilities go from here to here. And as an executive, recognize there are step changes that might be going on in your own company that you haven't really heard about in the context of what does this enable me to do that I might not have done before COVID hit, before this project set was completed. When you know that's a it's interesting how you break that out, right? Because it's it's uh, and we've sure all learned it in this past nine months that it's it's so important to have the dreams, but you've also got to be able to have the wherewithal and the capability to do it, right? And, and you know, it's it doesn't mean don't have the big dreams, but they got to be aligned with what's capable. And Wayne, what you mentioned a minute ago about how the IT can help the strategy come alive and help those possibilities come alive. You know, I, it really made me think of a, a striking example of that, but I got to go in the way back machine about 12 or 13 years ago, but we were out uh, talking to some people at Eli Lilly and they had just started to use some AWS, um, you know, compute systems there because they, they wanted to see, could we get some things spun up more quickly? And the guy who was one of the heads of, uh, not with IT, but he was in drug research. And he said that this use of cloud technology, he said, it has changed our concept of time. Because he said, we used to think uh, we, we would sort of limit the range of our experiments because we'd say, eh, if we want to go big, it's going to take six months to get that all provisioned and set up. So why don't we go a little smaller? It will only take six weeks. So he said, now we can do in six hours what used to take six weeks or six months in other cases. So he said, it's changed our sense of what's possible in a certain given period of time. And again, that was, you know, in the ancient days of 12 or 13 years ago, just imagine what's possible now, but there has to be, as you said, that very complete alignment between the dream or the vision, the innovation, and what actually is on the ground. So you can see what's in the warehouse. Absolutely right. You know, what did Henry Ford say? Vision without execution is hallucination. <laughs> um, and so... I think that should be a watchword. But to what you said, I'll, I'll give you my cloud example that, that it's a little smaller scale than your big drug company. Um, I had to do an AI system to price a financial product about 15 years ago. And so we said, we know what product we want to buy. We know it's a product in our industry, so we didn't even have to select it. But it required you know 30 servers and required new storage and new this and new that. And so from the time we made the decision 
till the time we could price the first product and test was about seven months, order stuff, get it installed, get it delivered, unbox 40 servers. You know, HP sends you the uh, IKEA set to put your server together and they all do and rack them and stack them. Oh wait, we don't have enough room in the cage. Get the cage made bigger in the colo center. Um, get the software on. Oh wait, that router doesn't work with that. We got to upgrade the router, you know, the normal IT dance. And so it was seven months and over half a million dollars to try the idea. And so 18 months ago, a client said, I want to try AI to price my product. And so I said, okay. And they were on Azure. So I went to the Azure control panel and poked around and went, oh, AI, click, click, click. And it said, that will be $6, please. But we'll give you the first month free. And so I went back to the client 48 hours later and said, let's try pricing products. And that's the difference. And in this case, it was really cool. A small company able to act at that speed now can have an advantage over the Eli Lilly size company who might've had a spare data center lying around, but my, my clients, the billion dollar, $2 billion, $5 billion manufacturers, logistics companies, we don't keep a spare 5 million bucks worth of computing around. We order it and it comes in boxes and we assemble it when the ROI is there. And so now with cloud, we can turn that stuff on instantly. And by the way, if, if Azure didn't do what we wanted, I could have gone signed up for Google and tried theirs. And if they didn't work, I could do Amazon. I could do Tencent. You know, the sky's the limit. And if you have a flexible mindset, which is what I try to explain to my clients, my size range, the mid-market can lap the big companies because now we have the technology base that Microsoft, Oracle, Amazon, Google, SAP have invested billions, tens of hundreds of billions in, and I get to buy it this much at a time. So the world has changed, not just incrementally, you know, whatever you saw at Lilly, whatever, 15 years ago, is probably a thousand X that, but it's a step change. And that's what I wanna keep saying in this conversation. These are step changes, not incremental, not a little better than last month. When you implement some of this new stuff or change your thinking, you go from here to here. And that's a huge difference. Yeah. Wayne, rolling that forward just a step here too, um, you've, you've talked about before in other episodes that the, you know, everybody uh, of, a, of a certain vintage, you know, I don't know what the age is, 25, 30 or more has at some point or another um, undergone the experience. I was going to call it sometimes the agony, but some of those early enterprise applications, unless you, you work with them all day long, they are, they're just, anyway, it's otherworldly. You're thinking, what was, who built this and who did they expect was going to use it? And so if there's some business executives who have had that experience and they're thinking like, oh gosh, you know, that stuff's not going to help us. You've got a point here that says that the modern cloud applications, just like you described for some of the infrastructure services, they're profoundly different. And for companies looking to get on that innovation train, have those step changes you described, some of these SaaS applications are going to fit beautifully into that strategic plan to be able to do stuff tomorrow that we couldn't do today. Oh, absolutely. And the problem I have with talking with my clients is I'm talking with executives of that vintage that you're describing very nicely. 
people who have been exposed to old computer systems, and that's what they grew up with, where when you ask for something, it takes six months to get. Um, you make huge piles of changes every two years, five years, whatever, accumulate massive technical debt, and you do everything in kind of the waterfall methodology. So I had a client talk to me the other day. We're looking at a new ERP, and they want to know how we're going to do the uh, RFI and RFQ and all the RFs. We're going to fill out the thousand page questionnaire. We're going to send it around. We're going to have question after question. You're going to answer. Everybody's going to answer them. We're going to wait the answer. And at the end of the day, we're going to say the winner got a 9.3 compared to the other company that got an 8.7. Yeah. And I had to explain to them that in the, that, that was fine. If I was looking at a four-year implementation, if I was going to hire an army of programmers, if I had to rewrite half the system using a proprietary language, that all might have made sense. But when we talk about today's modern ERP and CRM and in healthcare, even some of the EHRs that are being written cloud native, they're being written as a consumer product in some ways. And, and I think part of it is how they're being written because when we built systems 20, 30, 40 years ago, we had to worry about every byte of storage. Now let's go back and talk about Y2K for a minute. Everybody said to me, what were you idiots? Didn't you know there were more digits in the year? Yeah, we knew that. When I started, the mainframe I worked in had 8K of memory, eight kilobytes of memory. And by the way, when I was in college, I had to open the door of the computer and dust off the memory cores as one of my jobs. That we could walk into the boxes and do maintenance, walk, open the door, walk inside the computer to maintain it. Now, I'm not old enough to remember the moth caught in the relays, you know, the first <laughs> bug in the machine, but I remember the generation after that. And so when we built systems in the 1970s or 80s or 90s even, we were storage constrained, we were speed constrained, we were everything constrained. And so when you can write code today, your constraints, your limits are so much higher than they were. So when I built code years ago, if I want to change the program, I opened the program up. I got a professional developer writing an algorithm, a complicated set of instructions, because I had to make them super efficient. And so your coding quality had to be extremely high. Your skill level, your training, your education was high. I remember buying a set of books, Algorithms by Donald Knuth. It was a set of books that taught you how to do a sort that taught you how to do the various types of optimizing memory and speed and this and that. And we all had to know this stuff. So fast forward 30 years, when I wanna make a change to a modern ERP, and that's Salesforce, that's Microsoft Dynamics 365, that's NetSuite, that, that's all of these products. I'm not picking out one. The modern versions of the Oracles and the SAPs, same way. I open up a screen, I've got like a Visio diagram of a workflow. I add a box, I add some conditions, I add some roles, you know, names, but the, the job title. And I go click, 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 click. And it says that computes, it all makes sense. Wanna try it? Yes. And over in the test system, I have now added another step in my approval. And so when you can put in software and change it as dynamically as you wish, it changes the game, then I'll submit a request, throw it over the wall to IT, and two months later, they'll show me something written out 
flowcharts and stuff, and then I'll prove it. And then two months later, they'll show me some screens and I'll go, nope, you missed it. And we go through this four month iteration cycle. This is where I grew up. And so uh, I have a, a, a slide in one of my ERP decks that says, this is not your father's SAP. I'm here to apologize to SAP because SAP isn't your father's SAP either anymore. And so all the companies are doing this. And I wanna highlight a couple of things, Bob. Modern ERPs are built to run in the cloud. They're built to have maintenance done to them in a continuous integration mindset. That means I don't get a new release every two years that takes me a year and a half to put in. I get a new release every two weeks or every month or every six weeks. And I get bug fixes applied almost immediately. So all of a sudden my technical debt goes down dramatically. But the downside of that or the counterpoint to that is now we have to be ready to accept change at a much higher rate. If you like that screen, I promise you in a year, it won't look like that anymore. Now, it may have an extra two fields on it. Maybe I can hide them, but it will be a different screen with new and improved capabilities. So an organization that embraces this needs to embrace the idea of continuous evolution, process review. It's not okay to say every five years, we'll take a look at what we do. And you know what? Thank goodness, because we shouldn't be waiting every five years and we shouldn't be blaming the IT department for having to wait five years. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is a lot of this is now built on documented data models. Well, Microsoft calls it the uh, common data model. They publish it in GitHub. If you wanna see how the entities and relationships and the fields tie together in Microsoft software, you download it from GitHub for free. Now, what does that mean? As a company, there's my master data management. I don't have to buy expensive tools to get some basic MDM. If I want to extend the schema, I want to add shoe size to all of my invoices. I can extend that in the schema, know what I'm doing, document it, put it back in GitHub. So if, I, if I'm a vendor and wants to build a product to work with Microsoft D365 or others, I now download the schema, add my extensions, upload it, and know all of my clients know what I did so they can understand it, they can audit it, they can customize it. So that's the one thing. Now on top of that, add a low code, no code capability. Mm -hmm. And Microsoft's had it for a while. Uh, Oracle just, I'm sorry, uh, SAP just announced it. Salesforce just announced improvements to Einstein. All of a sudden, the citizen developers, what we used to call shadow IT, or I call it rogue IT, are now our buddies. They're now our friends. They now work in concert with the pro devs in IT. So all of a sudden, we have the ability to extend our ERP system, our CRM system, our EHR system quickly, but carefully with all the constraints of the system, with all the documentation. And it changes the paradigm of ERP. Absolutely, absolutely. And Wayne, I think companies can get there. I think it uh, sort of appeals to this world that our sponsor BMC just wanted to share a message from them. BMC wants to know is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets where automation is paramount yet effortless. And when technology and people work as one in an enterprise, the A game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A game. So 
Wayne, it, you know, the, this, uh, the, the historical perspective there is, is really extraordinary, right? Because if you think about the capabilities of low code, no code today and how that opens up the opportunities for companies to have not dozens, but hundreds or thousands of people doing, uh, you know, productive work in these ways, there's, there has to be, it's almost like limitless compute and storage power behind that. Whereas, as you described in the past, you, you had to sort of uh, treasure and value every byte that you were, you had to use there. So things look kind of clunky and mechanical, and today we can make them beautiful like this. Um, I think it's so powerful too, what you said, there's a cultural impact, right, Wayne, when you've got people who before were running around trying to scurry and avoid uh, detection, and now they're brought out into the open, and they can be part of, you know, the bigger thing that's going on here. So it just seems like companies that are able to collaborate in those sorts of ways are going to be so much more effective than the, you know, don't do this, don't do that, when they didn't understand it, but they were there were constraints that had to be in place to protect the company. So let me follow up with that. I want to send a message to the CEO and to the board. Your CIO is a reflection of the choices you make. If you're a CEO or even a board member and your IT department is not delivering, don't settle. I tell clients the CEO gets the CIO they settle for. You need a CIO or CDO or CTO or whatever you call your IT leader who is a business partner more than ever. You need somebody when you're doing the strategic plan who can sit in the room with you and say, I can add a capability to that product you're talking about. Not who can talk about the IT budget or what we're doing in IT, but how whatever we're doing in IT or could be doing improves what you're suggesting. Or who can say, I hear what you're talking about. And you know, we talk, there's the marketing discipline of the core product, the actual product, the augmented product. My core product is what I want, the, the service I need. The actual product is what the vendor sells me. The augmented product is the whole experience. Mm -hmm. So if I'm making, the example is always drills, right? The actual product is not a drill, it's a hole. I buy the drill to make a hole. If I could use a laser beam to make a hole better, okay, I'll buy a laser beam. I don't wanna buy a drill, I want a hole. But IT may not be able to affect the drill very much, although I think we could, but we can affect the augmented product. How do I shop for a drill? How do I get a warranty claim for the drill? What happens when the drill overheats? Could IoT, Internet of Things, my example is always when the drill bit gets dull, what if the drill could send a message and the WW Granger company or one of the Hilti or somebody could send a drone with a new drill bit right to the job site and wrench so I can take it off and put it in the chuck and keep drilling? Wouldn't that be a great product to keep productivity up? Now that would be an augmented product that might be, while sounding science fiction, something that someday we might aspire to. So your CIO needs to be thinking that way. Your CIO needs to be able to carry you forward. And, and I'll say this as an old guy CIO, I've called shadow IT, kind of a cute term, rogue IT for many years, because what they were doing without meaning to was creating chaos, was creating problems was creating technical debt, was creating security issues for me and this, this the CIO, but really for the company as a whole. So while it seemed innocuous and fluffy and happy and good, it was really very deeply disturbing below the surface. But modern low code, no code, 
which lives inside your security architecture, which lives inside of your database schema, which integrates with your ERP core engine, creates an environment where the citizen developer plays in my sandbox. They code with the security rules we've given them. They code with the tools we've given them. They code with data schemas that fit together with what we've already built. And so all of a sudden, they can be as productive as they want to be, and nothing they do will easily break everything that's come before. Now, as a CIO, I have to make that cultural change. We like to change your life. Oh, IT is going to change your job, but now we're changing our job. Yeah. And so with low code, no code, with published schemas, with cloud-based ERPs and CRMs and EHRs, if the IT department is not changing at least as fast as everywhere else in the company, there's something wrong. And so my message to the board is if you don't have a CIO partner that you feel comfortable talking to, replace that person. Yeah. If you don't have a CIO that you can see as a business executive, as a business leader, as a business, as a forward thinker in your strategic planning and execution process, replace that person. You can't live with a merely average IT leader. So I think that comes out of the whole, we've changed the stuff, now we have to change the staff. Yeah, yeah. Wayne, before we go on to, I know you're, the other point you wanted to talk about was 5G and latency and all the extraordinary things that that's gonna bring in 2021. I wanted to just ask you one question here about the CIO thing, cause I wanna push a little farther on the point you made where you said, you know, in a strategy meeting, the CIO should be able to say to somebody in, uh, you know, product development, hey, I can add a capability to that product that will do this or that. Is it fair for a CEO to expect not only that, but also that the CIO is going to come into some of those meetings and say, I have a new set of ideas for revenue generation. I have a new set of ideas for a new type of product or a data related service that enhances those products and delivers that complete experience that you described. Yeah, I think that a modern CIO, modern IT leader uh, should be always thinking about what I know about technology and about the company and about our customers and about our products that I can put the pieces together and, and add an augmented product. As I say, if I'm a drill manufacturer, the CIO is probably not gonna show you how to make a better motor in your drill, but how do I do the augmented product? How do I make it easier for the buyer to buy and use and repair and upgrade and replace those industrial tools. Um, in IT departments I've led before, IT has gone to the business and said, we just saw this new capability and we can use it. Many years ago, I worked for a bank and I was walking around the show floor of a trade show with the head of retail banking. And we saw a really cool device that scanned your iris. Um, not retinal scanning, iris scanning. And we're talking now over 20 years ago. And we said, wow, looks interesting. It was actually developed by the Sarnoff Research Lab at RCA. <laughs> and so we grabbed the manufacturer of ATMs. We grabbed our software company and we grabbed this product and we built the world's first biometric ATM and revealed it in uh, 1998. The product was functionally useless because until you, so we could replace your ATM card and it did, but until every ATM had biometrics, you still needed the ATM card. And it was actually so good, it was spooky. 
we turned this thing on and as soon as it saw you and recognized you, it greeted you by name. We put the first one in a grocery store across from our headquarters. And if you walked across the aisle in the grocery store 20 feet away and glanced at this thing, it would yell out, hi, Wayne. So we scared people. We had to put a thing on it where you had to stand with your feet in a certain spot and touch the screen. It was a terrific piece of technology and actually got us millions of dollars of publicity. Um, Jay Leno told the joke and mentioned the name of our bank. He said, now when the crooks rob you, instead of stealing your wallet, they're gonna cut off your head. And I put my head in my hands and oh my God, and marketing said, wow, this is terrific. We got a national exposure. And so here's a place where IT got millions of dollars worth of publicity. And by the way, my staff was invited to speak at biometric conferences around the world for years. It was a useless product, but it was an interesting extension of technology. And my teams have come up with other things over the years, products that actually made it to market and are still being sold today. And so if IT is not in there going, what about, what about? And a couple of things, IT has got to understand that we're not in the business of IT unless that's our business. We're in the business of banking or manufacturing or, or logistics or construction or whatever it is. How do we improve the experience? Who places? Our frontline employee, the clinician offering care, the person driving the backhoe, the, the person stocking the shelves and driving the truck. How do we make their life better? Maybe safer? Uh, we built the system in another company where we, it was a personal security uh, for our frontline employees. We built it to be a productivity enhancer. I promise you that. But when they wrote the article that made it to the front page of CIO magazine, they titled the article Armed for Safety. Because the side effect of being more efficient is the people in the field weren't buried in paper while they were exposed to physical danger. So when they interviewed people in the field, they talked about how the company made them safer. And, and safety was certainly part of our design, but we didn't realize the field would see that impact far more than we're able to improve our productivity by X percent. So we wanted to build it by going in the field. And how did we build it? I rode around on armored cars. I talked to holster companies who make holsters for guns to put a PDA in a holster for quick draw. We went out in the field. And so I'll say this to every CIO and every CEO that has a CIO, is your IT making sales calls? Is your CIO talking to customers? Are you in the call center listening, ghosting in? Are you reading the complaints? Are you, I loved going out on sales calls or even going out when we messed up a sales call and trying to recover the account. Because obviously I was a company officer. I commanded the power of IT. And sometimes I was in the, on the spot being able to say, we'll do that for you. So the salespeople loved having IT along and the customers liked having that connection to corporate. And the employee, I mean, again, it just has so many benefits that if IT is not thinking every day, every minute, what is going on in the business that I can make better? Shame on the CIO and shame more on the CEO who should be picking and nurturing and enabling and empowering that IT leader. Uh, since I gave a Henry Ford quote, I'll give a George P. Schultz quote now. If you want me in and the landing, include me in the takeoff. Yeah. And this is a message to the CEO 
Don't call the CIO after you decided to buy that company and say, go figure it out. Get them involved. Uh, there are two hotel chains that merged. And when one hotel chain bought the other one, they discovered the one they bought had a major security exposure. Only they didn't know it till after they bought them and after they were breached. That was a very expensive acquisition. So get the IT people involved in the, what does that mean to us? when you're doing an M&A, when you're doing an expansion, internationalization, product line extension. Don't just tell them, again, my, my client with the terrific front end and the antiquated back end, somebody had a very ugly discussion at some point. And that could have been avoided by saying, we'll do this front end, but after we invest X million dollars to fix the back end, and we'll roll out all these new features in concert. And so that's the message. We got to be working hand in glove. The first thing is the CEO has got to have the right partner, the right people on the bus. And then IT has got to be in there pushing. Show me how I can help. Show me what bothers you. Let me see it. Let me go down on the factory floor. I can't emphasize that enough. If you're in there doing general ledgers and procure to pay and SEC reporting, great but it doesn't drop a dime to the bottom line. That stuff has to work. If you break your SEC reporting or your tax payment or your payroll system, bad stuff happens. But that's the, that's the ante, that's the price to pay, to play. You've got to be in there saying, especially today with new technology and the speed I can implement it, what can I do with all these weapons? I had a board member say to a CEO once after an ERP demo, you're building this new weapon, but I don't know where you're aiming it. And that's why my strategic plan discussion was the beginning. It came out of a couple of those discussions I've had. We've got these new capabilities and they're terrific. But if we don't know how to apply them properly, we're not getting full value from our investment. Yeah, we've made the general ledger better and accounting's better and finance rights cooler reports. But how do I sell another widget? How do I increase my margin? How do I decrease my customer complaints? How do I get the product in people's hands quicker? Those are all the things, especially as the economy opens back up again, that we in IT had better be front and center on, not just a spectator waiting in the wings to be tapped. Hey, can you automate that? We ought to be out there yelling at people. Let us help. Put me in, coach. Yeah, Wayne, I think, you know, what you're describing there, uh, some people might look at that and say, well, that's all nice to have. I don't think it is anymore. It was in the past. And now it's a it's a must have for any company who wants to be able to compete and sort of an analog to those great anecdotes that you've just shared is I always cringed whenever I would hear a CIO say that, you know, the job of the CIO and the IT organization is to support the business. You know, I just wanted to bury my head because yes, that's true. But it's also, it's sort of like saying, the job is, is, you know, don't steal from the company. Okay, it's true, but it's not helpful. Because when you say my job is the, the IT organization to support the business, you immediately put forth the promise, I'm not part of the business. Right. The business is over there at the big kids table. I'm over here at the little kids table. They tell us what to do. We try to remember it and chase after them. And it's always that thing you've talked about, that lag between strategy, capability, strategy and implementation, innovation, all those things. So yeah, I, I think that I, I 
I'm hoping that with all these changes going on in the world from this year, some of the stuff you've described, the need for companies to move faster, be more capable, technology leading a lot of these customer engagements, not you know coming third, fourth, fifth, sixth behind it. So to those CEOs and boards out there, I think like you're saying, you know, you'll get the CIO you deserve. And in 2021, you're going to need to have one who's a business driver and then can do that, you know, through technology. So Wayne, it's it's wonderful. And I, I I know we've talked about this on a few episodes, but it's incredibly important and essential, more now than ever before. And let me add to that. It's a two-way street. Too often the CIO is somebody that's trying and the CEO or the board is a little afraid. And I've told this story before, but I'll say it again. If you think about a board member or CEO, they're generally in their, say, late 40s through early 60s. Board members are 50s, 60s, 70s. And think about when they came up in technology. So they were their first manager job. Now they're supervising people. They're in their 20s. That was the 1980s or the 1970s or the early 90s. And what was technology then? Technology in the 80s was a guy like me with a white coat on pushing a cart. And on that cart was the green bar report this high. That was the monthly payroll report, clunk. The monthly production report, clunk. And that's what they saw when they were hands-on, hands-on with technology. And then they got promoted in sales or marketing or finance or manufacturing or whatever. And their exposure to technology became less and less because they were higher up the food chain. They, they dealt with it less other than their phone and their email and their chat. And so now they're on a board or now they're CEO being asked to make decisions about technology. And the technology is now this thing in your face. It's gamification, consumerization, it's internet of things, it's um, uh, teleoperators and telemedicine and self-driving cars and AI and blah, 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 blah. They were never prepared for this level of technology, nor for the level of technology integration into their product. And so we put them up top and now we say to the CEO, we're going to make a multi, multi, multi-million dollar ERP investment decision. Please sign off. What? They don't know anything about the technology. And so especially even at the board level, they have, they're generally older, a little maybe more removed from the tech. And I'll say this, nobody will admit it, but they're frightened. They're frightened of the 20-something whiz kid upstanding and making a presentation, or the 30-year-old whiz kid, because those folks are not talking to that board properly. So one of the jobs I do, one of the services I offer is I translate board to tech and tech to board. And it sounds funny, but people that are a little, uh, a little afraid of tech or a little bit, I don't, I don't want to look foolish with my tech. Um, I, I can serve a, a role as a bridge. I, I have CEOs and board members and EVPs and people making lots of money say to me regularly, I want to ask you a stupid question, okay? And I have to tell them two things. One, you pay me to answer questions so there are no stupid questions. And two, you're the CEO or the CXO, whatever, or the board member, there are no stupid questions. And if an IT person ever makes you feel dumb or silly for asking that question, get rid of that person. People say, well, we're going to meet them halfway. Uh-uh. I speak and work in a technically jargon-filled area, just like an international tax specialist or a vaccine scientist. 
If I'm the person developing the vaccine, talking to the board of a big drug company, I do not talk like I would talk to my PhD students or in the lab, any more than an IT person working on the nuances of multi-cloud versus hybrid cloud, blah, 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 should throw that jargon out in the board of the CEO. So having said all that, I wanna say one thing. Board members can no longer abdicate all responsibility for technology. And Bob, you've heard me make this use this example before. Sarbanes-Oxley 20 years ago came out of WorldCom and Enron and the realization that entire boards existed where nobody could read the financial statements. They didn't understand the financial engineering that was very sophisticated in Enron's case and pretty clumsy in WorldCom's case, and they missed it. So Sarbanes-Oxley mandated a new role, a qualified financial expert, and said every board of a public company has to have a qualified financial expert on the audit committee. Now, I call that the Full Employment Act for retired big four partners, because all of them got tapped to go be on audit committees, and it's worked out beautifully. And so Russell Reynolds, the big search firm, in 2016, wrote an article, The Rise of the QTE in the Boardroom. I urge every board member, CEO, CIO to get that article. It's out, out there. We should probably attach a link to this video at some point. And it changed my thinking. Russell Reynolds said, not a digital person, not a Disney employee or somebody who knows how to make digital cartoons, but a real working CIO type who can sit on the board and understands what a disaster plan looks like, understands what a security breach means, understands not only the risk side of IT, but the opportunity side, who's worked with Internet of Things or worked with AI or worked with a cloud-based ERP. So when the board is talking about all the things boards talk about, they will have the perspective of the board visibility of the company. They will have the expertise of their technical domain, just like a general counsel on a board is never not a lawyer. A CFO on a board is never not a CFO. We need that specialty on the board who can add to every discussion. Technology, of course, with a business and with a board flavor. It's not enough to have a consultant that comes in once a quarter or bring in the CIO once a quarter for 20 minutes. You should have somebody there who can translate for the other board members and help explain the implications and also hold the CIO accountable, ask the right questions and understand the answers. So it goes both ways. There's the CEO that has to hire the right CIO and then include them. There's the CIO that has to be ready to rise to the occasion. And there's the board that offers that tone at the top and that whole strategic oversight. And so it really has to work together. And I just hope we don't have to experience a meltdown in IT the size of Enron and WorldCom that creates a new Sarbanes-Oxley to fight off a disaster when we know this is coming down the pike. So, so Bob, it works both ways. CIO, CEO, board, all in concert, and it has to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Wayne, I'm, I'm really glad you took the time to, you know, share your expertise and experience on this, because again, I think as you know, we're in uh, violent agreement about this, that 2021 companies are going to need to have that capability. They don't have six, eight, 12 months to constantly iterate and try to get it right. They've got, you know, a handful of days, a handful of weeks in some cases to do things better. But I, I, I think there's lots of reasons to be optimistic about the coming year. 
maybe Wayne will have a chance in our next episode in January to chat some about your thoughts on 5G and the impact that that's going to make. Um, Wayne, any closing thoughts that you want to share? Yeah, sure. I will say we're coming to the end of a year that has been a roller coaster for me, like everybody else. I'm seeing light at the end of the tunnel societally, personally, and I'm really, really energized by the kinds of questions the customers are asking. My clients and prospects are not coming and asking me, how do I shut stuff down? They're asking me, how do I accelerate? And I think that's a terrific microcosm of what I hope everybody else is experiencing. And as always, Bob, I welcome opportunities to talk to people about this, have people argue with me, get into a dialogue. We've, spot, we've sparked some pretty interesting conversational topics here, and I hope we have some more interaction between now and the next episode. Well, Wayne, thanks. You always give uh, everybody lots and lots to think about. Uh, I want to wish you, know, you and yours just a wonderful holiday season, and we look forward to seeing you in January, Wayne. You take care. Same to you. All right. Thank you, Wayne. And to all of you folks out there, we hope all the very best to you. Have a wonderful season. Uh, great holidays. Get some time off. Get charged up. Uh, I hope you can follow a lot of the things that Wayne's laid out here for you, because if you do, it's definitely going to be a much better 2021. Thanks, as always, for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. See you soon.